0: from the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind your mind. Welcome to From the Void. Welcome back to From the Void and part 3 and my final part of my interview with UFO author and researcher Craig Compabasso. Craig is a multiple award-winning filmmaker and Emmy nominated casting director. Craig has appeared on many radio shows, including The Granddaddy of Them All, Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie, Open Minds Talk Show with Regina Meredith, Beyond Belief with George Norrie, and of course, the History Channel's Ancient Aliens. Uh, Enjoy part three. This is the last part of my interview with Craig Campobasso on extraterrestrial species. You've been listening to From the Void.
1: I mean, and I'm sure those pictures are online somewhere.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. one question I have to ask you is, it, so many of these accounts, at least, um, you know, and I'm sure there's some some um, Hollywood uh, artistic uh, license with some of these uh, uh, that come to become film and, and that sort of thing. But uh, so often, the kind of the depiction is that if the person becomes aware, you know, that they are in the midst of an abduction – Um, you know, they, they tend to, you know, as you said, freak out and they're looking around, but there's not, it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of like interaction in terms of conversation between them and the, and, and the alien races, or at least like, they seem sort of like no personality and kind of stoic. Do you have any accounts where there was more of a opportunity for a Q and a or, or do aliens have a sense of humor? Like, you know, do,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the Betty and Barney Hill. Betty actually spoke to the leader who she called Junior. That's what she named him. Uh, he, the other beings on the craft looked more like little um, white looking grays, right? Mm. Uh, benevolent. And the leader was a little bit different, um, had a larger head. Its eyes were more gecko like. Mm. Uh, the skin, was a blue-silver metallic, and it had bumps on it. And uh, so she asked the leader, where are you from? And he showed her a star map and, you know, shown that they were from Zeta Reticuli. And she did ask him other questions that he answered, which which came out in um, her hypnosis uh, sessions, right? And um, what was interesting is then years later, because she drew out the entire star map that he showed her in her Mm -hmm. hypnosis section. And then years later, they put it together and they saw that it was the Zeta Reticuli uh, star system
0: which had right. not been mapped out yet at that point. No, it had no, yeah. it had
1: not been mapped out. So, uh so that that was a very fascinating thing. Now Barney was flipping out, right? Barney flipped more than anything and if you hear oh, his actual thing, oh my god. I mean, you feel for the man. Mm-hmm. Right? He literally flipped. Um she was a little more calmer and the, and in, in that respect, um, in, uh, I think, in UFO Hotspots, where I talk about, oh, here we go, the case, what was interesting is I talked to Kathleen Martin, and um, let me just see, so This is what, and I didn't know this until Kathleen told me, but the Betty and Barney Hill papers reside in the special collections of the University of New Hampshire Library at 18 Library Way in Durham, New Hampshire. And then I give you the telephone uh, where you can reach it. It actually has her dress there um, that has, you know, that was cut up and uh, was soiled and Uh, the whole thing from the abduction. It has the bust that she made of Junior is there uh, along with uh, other artifacts. So actually people, if you're in New Hampshire, you know, close to Durham, you can go there and you can check it out.
0: That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's such a fascinating case because, again, you know, uh, you've got two very credible witnesses um, who – not only have nothing to gain by coming public with this, but probably a lot to lose considering the the the, the time period that we're talking about. Um, right. Not not exactly the kind of attention they probably would have wanted, um, but a, another fascinating case. And again, you you mentioned Streber, and you mentioned um, uh, Travis shoot, Travis Walton. Yeah, the Travis Walton case. To me, it's absolutely fascinating, especially because, again, these these cases, especially when you have multiple witnesses who not only were we're talking, you know, pretty far removed, decades removed from the incident. You know, the Travis Walton uh, case that stems back to the 70s and you've got uh, about a dozen guys who were these loggers that were all working together who have all stuck to the same story, have not wavered past polygraph tests. Right. Um, Everything, you know. You Know we're, we're almost in a situation where they were almost, uh, you know, uh, essentially were accused at least of murder because they thought, you know,
1: they, yeah, in that yeah. first week, in that first week, by the way, in a UFO hotspot, um, mm. I do a whole chapter on Travis Walton. This is all of the latest updated information from the beginning of the case until now, so. You will see the entire thing. I worked tirelessly with Jen Stein on it and uh, to make sure that everything was completely accurate because, you know, she works uh, closely with Travis. Uh, Of course, I know Travis and uh, I've interviewed him and uh, talked to him many times. Um, But uh, that story there, and what's really cool about the UFO Hotspot is that I gave you the, I, I give you the coordinates if you want to go visit the site. Oh, and that's super cool. if you want to go visit the site where George Adamski met Orthon, I gave you I give it to you if you want to see where Valiant Thor's ship is located at Lake Mead, you have uh, the coordinates if you want to see where the flying saucer landed in Socorro, New Mexico. I give you the coordinates as well. So but you get the whole story. That's what's real that's what I really love about UFO hotspots. You get the whole story, you get the who, hint, when, why, when, how, and then you get what can you do if you go visit this hotspot while you're there. And and then I give you all the information, all the numbers, all the things, because some, you know, some places like the Integratron, you can't just drive up to and go in. You have to have a reservation. And they're booked up sometimes uh, several months in advance. Yeah,
0: that's what that's what I think is exceptionally cool about that book is the fact that, um, you know, a lot of times, what, you know, with uh, ghost hunting enthusiasts, yeah. a lot of times those books are, these are places that are privately owned. You can't go visit, you um, these are spots that, you know, like you said, worst case scenario, you have to book a reservation. But a lot of these places are on public land, right. you know. the Right. Uh, you know, and so so these are places that you can actually go visit and, and see and experience and, and kind of feel it out. Um, I, I think that's exceptionally cool. So talk about like maybe maybe pick a couple of your favorite spots, uh, locations in, in the book.
1: Well, uh, Bradshaw Ranch for sure. That's uh, it's in the Verde Valley just out of outside of Sedona. It's in the middle of nowhere. If you don't know how to get there, you will never find it. And you have to have a Jeep or a four-wheel drive to get in there, right? I mean, your car can go only so far. I remember the first time I went, I could, I could get my car there, and then it was like a 40-minute uh, hike to get there, Right. Um, so usually what we do when we go, uh, is we rent a Jeep. You can rent a Jeep, you know, for the day there in Sedona. So, um, so a friend of mine, um, who is still alive back in the day, worked at the ranch, right? And it's when it was, when Bob Bradshaw owned the ranch and, um, he was a cowboy and he uh his sons would give people you know when they were young up until they became adults um uh the horseback riding stuff he bought i can't remember 200,000 plus acres of land and that was became the Bradshaw Ranch uh, and then over the years they started adding more things like western shows uh, cowboys and Indians. And and then they added on to the ranch uh, where they had um, a bar, tables, they had a, a bandstand for a band. And so you could come see a show, have dinner, watch some entertainment, do all of this kind of fun stuff. Now, his second wife, Linda, Uh, who was there, uh, and her son was in his 20s at the time, lived on the ranch. Um, Bob was said to have seen a ship land in broad daylight in the front of his ranch, and it flipped him out so much that he walked back inside the house, and he said, I want nothing to do with this stuff ever. But his wife kept experiencing all different kinds of things, so she reached out to the local guy there, whose name is Tom Dongo. Uh, and he's written many books. Uh, I, and that's how I first knew Tom. I used to time I went to Sedona, I go see if there was a new Tom Dongo book to read about what's going on in Sedona. Right. Cause you get all the UFO activity, recent, latest pictures, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I met, you know, Tom became friends with him. And so all of the information is directly from tom and he lent me the pictures that he took during their four year investigation there right so um some of the things are is outside of the main ranch house there's an alligator tree and they call it that because its hide looks like a alligator skin right that tree was a portal for both negative and positive entities. So Linda would know when the, when more angelic things would come on the property. And then she would know when the more malicious ones came on because bad things would happen, right? Like one time, um, they heard a noise, they went out front and, uh, one of the trucks was being squeezed like a tin can and they took pictures and there's a blue energy field around it. Right. And um, another time they heard the dogs barking crazily at something outside. So they went out to investigate out a ways and they were looking up at something uh, barking at it, but nothing was there, but they heard hissing, like mm-hmm. really loud hissing. So they got the dogs and brought them inside. The next day they went outside and they found reptilian footprints in the powdery, uh, soot there. Right. So in the dirt, cause you know, everything there is red so um that freaked them out a little bit you know and then hearing the hissing and that kind of thing um there's also one of those big um windmills on the property and people are said who have gone near there have missing time there was even a japanese crew that came out there a long time ago one of the guys totally uh was missing for like three hours and he was sitting there, but he wasn't sitting there. Some would, Nobody knows where he went, what happened, any of that kind of stuff. But the most fascinating parts were that they started uh, videotaping with the old video cameras, the VHS video cameras, and picture taking. If you were to hold up your camera, right, Naked eye, you don't see anything. But here in the picture, they were seeing, they saw a dinosaur. It was like a mirror into another dimension. Now, they have pictures of this somewhere. All those people are gone. Tom didn't even know where the sun was. Linda's passed away. Bob's passed away. So um, I assume the sun has all that uh, information and also videotaping. They also, uh, 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 in another dimension, saw a telephone pole. There's no telephone poles out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, another time they saw uh, pink, the are kind of pink pigs. They don't have pink pigs there. They only have javelinas, right? So there was just these different kinds of things that they were seeing through the viewfinder. Now, here's the interesting thing. Let me see if I can find the exact description. So the son is coming home, bringing a friend of his one night. And I got to tell you, it is scary as all get out going there during the day. I can only imagine when it's blacked out at night with no lights. Because you have to drive down a long wash and it's all bush on the side. And you can feel all the dimensions are open and things are looking out at you. Hmm. I mean, it was—I mean, that's what I experienced. It freaked me out. Now, um, let's see. Yeah, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. So the sun is coming home one night. And all of a sudden, he's got the, the lights on. All of a sudden, out walks a pony with a cat head, right? And um, I can't find the exact description, but it's in the book with a cat head, which was so strange looking and it stopped, it turned, it looked at them and then it continued on. Now that same night, In Idaho, that same creature was spotted. So, is that an interdimensional creature that was going in and out of the dimensions? Right? That kind of thing. I mean, nobody knows. You know, her son went out, would go hiking. He got abducted, right? Was left by a stream uh, in the middle of the night, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, and now, now since then, I've met, um, uh, another couple who go there all the time because they live there. They're capturing on camera mantis beings, right? They're capturing, uh, uh, Bigfoot howls because, you know, there was a Bigfoot that Linda, uh, was friends with in the sense that she fed her right Hmm. she didn't she didn't actually have face-to-face contact with her but but her mare her mare was pregnant tom told her to be very careful because greys or reptilians they didn't know were stealing all the mare's fetuses on all of the ranches at that time so she uh, she used to find white hairs on her mare's stomach and, um, and she would find Bigfoot footprints around the stables. So she thought, okay, well, I'm going to put out a plate of food. She put out vegetables for her and fruit. The next morning it was all gone and she left her a few sticks and stones as an offering. And... Um, Uh, And so she continued to do this and she would come and she truly believed that that Bigfoot, which she called Big Girl, who was an albino Bigfoot, by the way, uh, protected her mare. Her mare did have uh, her baby and everything was fine. But later through picture taking, when the dimensions were opened up, they saw her right. The uh, albino big girl, and there was a big craft above her. Hmm. So yeah, I mean that place is—it's like if you're going to tear down dimensions, that place the dimensions are torn down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like everything's yeah. going on over there. Yeah. That's torn wild. down. Yeah. Well, I got I, I got to end on, on on a big question here. So. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like um, a lot of these uh, alien species, uh, these these beings, uh, seem to have some sort of uh, again, kind of go go back to the spirituality piece, um, some sort of spiritual belief system. Yes, uh, do aliens believe in God? What's what's the deal there?
1: <laughs> well, they they all believe that we are all created from the same primordial atom, and that we are the existence of source, whatever you want to call it. We call it God and we give it a face, right? But in actuality, it is the energy of everything. So that's why the saying is uh, so prevalent. Uh, You know, there, there are many in one and one in many. So uh, that kind of sums it up. Now, when you start getting into the hierarchical things, right, there are the, I call it the Godhead, will create beings like uh, they, uh, the Godhead creates what we call paradise sons which are the physical manifestation of existence itself to help run the network to see that everything is going smoothly. Hmm. And then those paradise sons create creator sons, which are the immortals, the angelics, and then all of them have their roles and their things, right? Like right now, valiant thor who i put in the category of a seraphim right he is a very high created being i mean the first time i came in contact with his energy i sobbed profusely for 15 minutes Hmm. i mean i'm not kidding you it is amazing when i tell people about him they start sobbing right So uh, once they make that connection. So his job is for our section of the galaxy is to see that he is here until we make it out of duality and we are now being fully integrated into universal society, back into the fold of the one. If you yeah. want to look at it that way, so so really, I mean he has a he has a very uh unique saying. He says, "You are all going from a clod to a god." <laughs> <laughs> I like that right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very so cool. this is school, right? This planet yeah. is a giant school. All the planets are schools. Everything teaches something different, right. Here we're being taught duality. We're being taught how to be these incredible godlike creatures in the sense of love and peace and harmony and and integration and unity and everything. I mean, I, it, it's amazing that we here still can't get it together. Imagine. What it's going to be like when you connect to the rest of the universe and you see things that are so diverse from you that you can't even identify with. So, you know, you have to really be groomed for each step.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's amazing. That sounds awesome to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So I, sure. I know that was technically my last question, but kind of a, a follow up to that. Like, so how do they view the the death of like the physical body? Because obviously you've mentioned some are beings that are so evolved that they don't even have a physical body. So how, how do they view that? Like, what is that? What is that to them?
1: Well, you you come in, you come in with your purpose, right? And you're here to learn that purpose. That's why you have. A ministering angel, and you have an archangel. They're there to keep you on track. Now, a lot of people forget and they don't want to evolve because it's too painful. So they stay stuck and they just stay on the wheel lifetime after lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. Right. So, so each time, so when you leave this existence, Um, let's say if you're a starseed, you may come back in with a different purpose. Or you may be done if you're an earthbound soul, if you're done with your schooling, then you'll go to Melchizedek and you'll be further trained there and then sent to the next planet that you want to learn from, Hmm. whatever that might be. Right. And that might include a lifetime of a 3,000 year span. Wow. Right. Because when you come in, you're saying I can come in and I can learn what I need to learn in this amount of time. Right. So, so that's what, that's what all beings do. Sometimes it gets cut short or what have you, but they still, they just come back in and, uh you know, they do it all over again, that kind of thing. Um, interestingly enough, I was good friends with Sylvia Brown, and she wrote a lot on death. But, and she said, the real bad people, she said, the minute they die, they stick them back in immediately. Wow yeah so Hitler's running around somewhere somewhere <laughs> because they've got to yeah. learn you know everybody yeah. has their their amount of learning that they have to do even if they were a Hitler, even if they were mm. what have you right I mean, all of us still can't even understand what the purpose of something so heinous like that was, right mm. like why, 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 why did that happen? Why, why did that need to happen, right? But you have to understand that this universe has given way more free will than any other universe out there. So this is also an experiment. And through harder life challenges, through harder things like what we just talked about, like if we get into the whole Luciferian thing and Michael, the good and evil for the universe, in the end, it is said that the Michael-Lucifer, the Lucifer rebellion, actually advanced the universe 25% ahead of schedule. Mm. Right? Right. So if you look at it like that, and then that makes me wonder: okay, is that how angelics think? Is that how you know? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. Is it? Is that really for the greater good and um, that that type of thing? I mean, I I don't know the answer to those questions, but I mean, they're they're amazing to think about and to ponder. But we will understand them when we get there.
0: Yeah. Right? Absolutely no, I totally agree. Yeah. It is yeah. very interesting to to think about. Yeah. Well, before we before we uh, uh, say goodbye, uh, tell people where they can uh, stay up on top of what you're up to. Um, what, do, is there a release date for the film yet
1: at all? Or uh, yeah, work? the E. T. Species Almanac will probably be released next spring. Um, okay. If people want to know more, they can go to um, Autobiography of on A-N-E-T dot com. And there's a subscribe button. Subscribe to the website and then you'll get uh, you'll get emails when it's going to be released and that kind of stuff. Um, On that same website, you can find the ET Species Almanac under Other Books tab. uh, UFO Hotspot under Other Books tab. And then my uh, four-part book series Uh, The Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga is on the homepage. Um, If you buy the books there, I I personalize them to you, autograph them, and all that good stuff. And uh, there's even a button if you want to buy all four books at once. They're in hardcover and softcover. Uh, and then, if you want to know more about Stranger at the Pentagon, the Valiant Thor story, that's strangeratthepentagon.com. You can watch the short film there as well, and the short film is also those are what the posters are behind me, right there.
0: I was I was looking at it. that's cool. that
1: that's actually Victor One, and this is the blueprints to Victor One. By the way, on the strangeratthepentagon.com uh, website. I do have all of Dr. Frank's out-of-print books. Uh, I have only 10 DVDs left of the film. So people want to get that. And I have all the posters. If you're interested, it's like so weird doing it this way. There it is. (laughs) Um, There's about four or five different posters. Um, And uh, or you can buy all the posters for, you know, the cheaper thing, that kind of thing. I think I have a few Valiant Thor T-shirts left. People begged me for it, so um, and uh, so uh, absolutely uh, go check everything out there.
0: Very cool. Yeah, we'll put the links in the show notes for sure. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. This is absolutely fascinating. Um, love the book. Uh, like I said, uh, the, the the main one that we talked about today, the extraterrestrial species Almanac the ultimate guide to grays reptilians hybrids and Nordics uh, very cool go check it out uh, highly recommend uh, thanks again for, for, for coming on and, and spending your
1: afternoon with me Thank you so much John that was great
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the prior episodes, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing so you don't miss a single new episode. And of course, uh, please consider sharing it with a friend. We'll be back next week with an all-new mystery. And until then, you've been listening to From the Void.